Let me invite you to turn with me today to the letter of Hebrews, chapter 12. The letter of Hebrews, chapter 12. It was uh, the conclusion of a five-hour trip that was somewhat bumpy and arduous as we made our way into Kingisept. Kingisept is a town that was located in the southwestern corner of what is known as the Leningrad Oblast. It was near the Estonian border. And it was the last visit we had to make of 10 different churches that we were going to be working with as we brought in a team of 76 people to work for a couple of weeks and to support the churches. As we arrived at the church there, we went in and we announced ourselves to the secretary. She was actually very nervous and upset We had arranged this meeting and had been working on it for months. And the pastor was to be there to uh, meet with us so that we could plan for a team from the University of Arkansas to come and be with them. But he was nowhere to be found. He was not forthcoming (laughs) very rapidly. And uh, we waited about an hour maybe a little more, and then we decided that we needed to leave and begin our journey home. And uh, about that time, the pastor showed up, and he was very, very troubled in his spirit. But yet he was able to sit with us, and we were able to make some tentative plans on uh, the visit and the ministry that we would be conducting there. He... uh, finally said he needed to go and he needed to pray and he was extremely grateful that we had come. As we got in a van and we were headed back home, our assistant, who was also our interpreter, began to explain why the pastor had been so late and why he had been so troubled. You see, it was a very difficult time in Russia at that time. Putin was just coming to power. The Russian Orthodox patriarchs exercise dominion over any religious activity in the country. And depending upon who the patriarch was, was how much liberty a church might have. This patriarch was an exacting man. He was an oppressive man. And he persecuted this church and this pastor unrelentingly. So much so that the pastor had come to the place where he said that it was time for him to just end his life. And as we arrived at his church, he had gotten in the car and had driven out to a washed out bridge with the intention of going over. And he sat there and contemplated it and turned around and came back. He had come to the end of his endurance in the race for that moment. 
And that is true, and that is a possibility, to some lesser or greater degree in every believer's life. There is none who escapes the weariness sometimes of the journey that is ours toward the kingdom of God. And while we rejoice in the goodness of the Lord, there are those times when we need to be encouraged in our endurance, even as this young pastor was in need of such encouragement. That is a true statement. Think for a moment. Do we ever grow weary in those times where we are struggling month after month, week after week with our financial difficulties? Do we ever grow weary when we hear the diagnosis come from the doctor as he tells us that either ourselves or our loved one has a very serious, if not terminal, illness and then dealing with that as we complete our journey here on this earth? How about those times when friends seem to just abandon us, rebuke us, betray us? How how about those times when there are relationship problems either with our children or our spouses or within our family in, in some way? How about the times when church just seems not to be moving forward and not to be all that we might want it to be? Do we ever just grow weary? I would suggest to you, and and rather positively so, that that is certainly true in each life. So much so that even uh, Thomas Boston writes these words, that there is no correcting of the ill air of the world. A shade and shelter may be had in it, but to reduce it to its first temperature that it may indeed be a pleasant land is not promised and therefore cannot be expected. The winds of trouble must blow in it while there are such treasures of sin in it that bring them forth. While our provocations against heaven gather into clouds, there may be tempestuous rains or calamities in it. The godly may lay their account with this. John sixteen thirty three. In the world you shall have tribulation, and the carnal world need not lay their account by it. The book of Job in chapter 5, 7 states, Yet man is born into trouble, and sparks fly upward. Well, understanding that this is a common truth, this is a common experience among us, And we know that there is no temptation except that which is common unto man. We will be benefited by turning to this passage of Scripture where we find a great deal of encouragement and endurance as we complete our race. So I would ask you to stand with me if you would. And let's do honor to the Word of God as I read just simply uh, the first few verses and then we'll come back and focus on three of those verses beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12 therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Please be seated, and could I invite you to pray with me? Oh, our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, it is not only inerrant. We understand it to be truly inspired. But we know that it is given to us from your very throne, that we might hear your voice in it. And therefore we acknowledge and confess today that apart from your illuminating spirit, we cannot glean any truth that would encourage us today. So, Father, we pray that your perfect will will be accomplished and that your will will be done and that we as your children may be benefited by this time of listening to your word in the context of our worship for you and of you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Sage Spurgeon once wrote, Men do not do much if they act from mere feeling and have no underlying design. Indeed, a life without an object must be frivolous and a frivolous and useless life. But when we look at this passage of Scripture, we find that what the author to the Hebrews is concluding his letter with is an encouragement to endure in the race. I call your attention to, chapter, to verse 1 of chapter 12 and the latter part of that verse where he says, and let us run with endurance that race that is set before us. When you read those words, you will find that they are expressed in a passive sense. That is that someone, somewhere, somehow has laid out before us the path that our life is going to take and it is the race that we are going to run. And we understand that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. And it is the found, that is the foundation from which we can glean all of our encouragement when we think about the fact that God, before the very foundation of this world, had preordained you and me, who are regenerate believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be his children, to be called into his kingdom, to be called into fellowship with him as he accomplishes his eternal purpose of magnifying his glory throughout all of the ages. Therefore, we are mindful of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, where we, say, where we hear the Apostle Paul encourage us by saying that we have been saved by grace, and that is through faith, uh, uh, and that is not of our own, it's the gift of God. And then he goes on in verse 10 and he says, For we are the workmanship of God that he is forming 
in order that we might do the works that he has laid out before us before the very foundations of the world. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, the first thing that jumps out at us and should resonate in our heart is the fact that we are God's children, we are called into his kingdom, and we are living for glory, but he has included us in his plan that he is accomplishing to his glory, and each and every one of us have a race that is laid out before us, and some of those races are different uh, or more difficult than others of those races, and the probability is, is none of our races are identical because God has an individual purpose for each and every person that he has called into his kingdom. That's why our names were written in the book of, uh, of, the, uh, <clears throat> of life before the very foundation of the world. So, we see that there's this race that is laid out before us, but then the encouragement comes in the context of having a cloud of witnesses that surround us. It's very much like the cross-country racer. I know you would never believe it, but I used to run at one time. But whenever you would run a cross-country race, you never really knew what the next curve was going to lead you to. And it is almost as if he's, he's describing a person who would be running their race, and the race has been good, and it has been difficult, and they're looking forward to finishing that race, but they make that final turn, and up before them lies the steepest, longest hill that they had experienced up to that point, and they are so weary that they do not think that they can move up that hill at any kind of a uh, effective uh, pace at all. Their feet have grown heavy. Their legs have grown weary. But all of a sudden, as they look at that hill, there seems to be this cloud of witnesses that have run the race and then have gathered towards the end of that race. And as they are lining the race course, they are encouraging that one who is running the race to continue on, to continue on, to continue on. And there we can see the, the leadership of a, of a Moses. We can hear the voice of an Abraham. We can hear the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Ezekiel, all of them speaking to us, saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. Look at the race that is laid out before you. You can make it up that hill. There is a cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us, and they are lining our racetrack, encouraging us to move along, that we might make that final trek up that steepest hill, in the depth of our weariness, we will have the strength to move on. So the encouragement is predicated upon this cloud of witnesses. So how is it that we run this race? Well, the author tells us the first thing is, is that we must lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance that race that is set before us. 
As we think about those words, let's hear the words of A.W. Tozer when he writes, If you will narrow your interest, God will enlarge your heart. Jesus only seems to be to the unconverted man to be the motto of death. But a great company of happy men and women can testify that it became to them a way into a world infinitely wider and richer than anything they had ever known before. Christ is the essence of all wisdom, beauty, and virtue. To know him in growing intimacy is to increase in appreciation of all things good and beautiful. The mansions of the heart will become larger when the doors are thrown open to Christ, but closed against that of encumbrances and sin. That's his comment on this passage of Scripture. So we need to be able to lay aside these encumbrances. We must have a proper mental attitude, understanding that we are running this race in the context of God's plan, God's will for our life. But then we must lay aside the encumbrances. What would they be? Perhaps we need to lay aside the priority of being successful. Maybe we need to lay aside the priority of amassing a large bank account, larger homes, nicer cars, more pleasures. Maybe we need to lay aside even our reliance upon education. And maybe we need to put our families in correct perspective in our commitments to the Lord. Anything that would encumber our ability to grow in our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to live faithfully unto him, we must lay aside. And then, I would like to mention three specific encumbrances that oftentimes are far too prevalent in our lives individually and as families, perhaps even as churches. How about that unforgiveness that just lingers in our soul, that disrupts our spirit, that inhibits our relationship with God? We refuse to offend those who have offended us or to forgive those who have offended us. And we cling day after day, week after week, month after month, and oftentimes year after year to the injustices that we have suffered. And we do not forgive them and release them to the Lord. Similarly, resentments. We live in a world that fosters resentments continually. It is the mark of an unbeliever that those strong resentments begin to guide our life and to begin to determine our relationships with others. 
These are encumbrances that must be put aside. And then the anxieties. The anxieties that none of us can escape. Certainly that temptation is ever present for all of us. But what do we do with those anxieties? Do we cling to them? Do we allow them to motivate us to develop our plans and to engage our resources and to engage our energies in overcoming these anxieties? Or do we turn to the Lord and rejoice in the Lord? Oh, again, do we rejoice in the Lord? And do we, by prayer and supplication, bow before the Father and have those extended times of prayer when we hear the Father's voice and we come to that peace and that rest and we know that whatever we endureth, there in the midst of them, he will be with us. And so we refuse the anxieties in preference for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a terrible encumbrance to our running the race. And then he mentioned sin. Now none of us, most of us at least, don't need much reminder of what sin is. Our brother Chad did such a wonderful job of telling us that our sin disqualifies us from a relationship with God. And in the fact that that be true, and it certainly is, apart from Christ, we can know no forgiveness of our sin. We can know no rest, no peace in our heart. We can know no reconciliation with the Father. We understand that. But we as believers, and he did such a job, a good job of reminding us that we as believers do have those trappings of sin, those habits, those modes of thought that, we, that lend themselves to drawing us into that sin that would compromise our ability to run this race with the endurance that is so necessary. So what do we do with that sin when it comes and we recognize that it is there? Well, of course we must confess that sin. But we confess that sin with a sense of repentance. And as we confess it, we have this vision of a, of a Savior who poured out his blood upon the cross. And he carried that blood into the very holiest of all. And there he continues to make intercession for us. And we'll speak about that in a moment. In order that we might know the forgiveness of that sin. But we, it is incumbent upon us to be able to make that confession, to turn to that great high priest and to acknowledge that sin, then that it is an offense to the Father. And we invite the Holy Spirit of God into our life to cause us to understand just how devastating that sin is to us and to those around us and this world and how offensive it is to God Almighty. And as the Holy Spirit reminds us of that, we invite the Holy Spirit to strengthen us at the very center of our soul, at the center of our will, that with an attitude of repentance we can turn from that and we can turn to the Father and in turning to the Father we can invoke the power of His grace and <laughs> the almighty power of God 
in the Spirit of God to strengthen us to overcome that as we continually become more and more Christ-like as we run our race through this world. So we run this race, this race that God has laid out before us. We seek to fulfill His purposes simply by being faithful to Him. And we do so by laying aside all the encumbrances and by being conscientious about dealing with our sin. We run this race that God has established that His will would be be, uh, accomplished and His glory would be manifested. But then in verse 3, or in verse 2, the author of the book of Hebrews uses these words. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One of my favorite songs of worship, if not the favorite, is Be Thou My Vision. Because that's exactly what the author to this letter to the Hebrews is inviting us to do. Looking to Jesus, I wish I would pray that it was within my ability, which is certainly falls far short of so many others, to express the glory of that statement in a way that it truly deserves. Looking to Jesus. So let's look to Jesus for a few moments. We understand Jesus was the Son of God, born of a Virgin Mary, lived a life of absolute righteousness, taught as no other man taught, performed miracles in the public as no one has ever done before, And in his righteousness, went to a cross, sweat drops of blood in a garden, was rejected and abandoned by all of those around him, was mocked, and soldiers took reeds and beat the Son of God on his head, stripped the flesh from his back. And oh, how sickening that thud must have been when the base of that cross dropped in that hole on the hill called Calvary. And there upon that cross our Savior bled, gasping for breath, 
shedding his blood, proclaiming, it is finished. Only after saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. That is a scene that needs to be held before us. We need to be considering that continually. But we need to move beyond that. You see, the author of the book of Hebrews, seeking to bring this encouragement to people who were living under oppression, and John Owens would suggest to you that they had just grown weary of, the, of being oppressed by the Jewish people because of their faith in Christ, Others would suggest that it was the Roman oppression uh, that was combined with that that made it so difficult for them to live. But in the midst of this weariness, they're hearing this encouragement to endure in the race. And the thing that the author of this letter does is he goes back and he tells them who Jesus is from beginning to end. For he is the word of God. He is the final word of God. He is the one who has the name above all names. His name is lifted above that of the angels. He is the one who is seated at the right hand of God. He is the one who literally bled and died. And as our high priest entered into the very presence of God, carrying his own blood as a sacrifice once and for all and sealed a better covenant than anybody had ever heard of as he sealed the covenant between God and man for all of those who would come to believe in him and he would preserve them for all of eternity and nobody was going to take them out of his hand because Jesus Christ had paid the price and he is now our uh, and in him we now find our justification in him we know the forgiveness of our sin because he has entered into that presence of God he's seated at the right hand of God and the moment the moment we begin to cry out to him he turns to the father and he begins to plead our case before God in order that God might respond and we might hear his voice and we might know his strength in the midst of our weariness and our struggle as we continue to run this race. Oh, my friends, with those crowd of witnesses alongside our path as we turn and look up the hill, we look at the very throne room of God and we understand it is that eternity in which we, of which we are a part and towards which we live out of and for in this world. And we are encouraged. There is no way to capture the glory of that statement. He is our high priest. He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek without beginning or without end. He is the perfect fulfillment of the plan and the glory of God manifested. And yet he, he struggled up a hill carrying a cross on a stripped out back bleeding along the way with such pain and weariness and anxiety 
that he would literally sweat drops of blood. Oh, my friend, let's look to Jesus. Because you see, it's that great high priest who is seated at the right hand of God who whispers to us as we turn to him, come unto me. Come unto me. Come unto me, all of you who are burdened and heaven laden, and I will give you rest. John Owen writes, it is best for us to believe and obey God. Whatever may befall us in our so doing, that faith where it is true and sincere will engage those in whom it is to, be, to venture on the greatest hazards, dangers, and miseries of the world, rather than to forego their profession, that it will safely carry us through them all. Adolfi was a young lady who grew up in Rwanda. And when the tribal wars began, the Muslims fought against the Christians, she was taken captive. She was taken from her family. She was kept by the warring tribes. She was raped multiple times. She was beaten continually. And she was thrown in a ditch to die. A brother who had been following the camp since she had been taken saw his chance. He recovered almost the lifeless body of his sister. And the family came together and through the help of some international people she was able to get out of there and find refuge in Germany where she became a member and a joyful member of a church. Everywhere she went you could bet she had her Bible with her. Every Bible study there was, she was going to be there. Not out of some obligatory commitment, but out of a joy and a love for her Lord. And this woman, who had endured so much, had never grown weary in serving Jesus. It was her lifeblood. And it was evidenced and manifested in everything she did to those around her. Thomas Boston writes, What the world is spiritually to Christ's subjects, the people of God, a weary land, 
That is a thirsty land, a scorching country, a stormy place with many inconveniences which make travelers weary and faint. It is a wilderness wherein there is no water but a vehement heat which makes people weary and long for shelter and refreshment. What Christ is to them there as the shadow of a great rock, how pleasant is a shelter in such a place to the weary traveler. Such is Christ to his people in the world. There are many shelters. There are even the shadow of great created comforts. But alas, they are unsubstantial shades. They are the shade of a tree through which the sun, wind, and rain will beat. But Christ, Christ is the shadow of a rock that none of these can pierce and a great rock which gives a larger shelter so that there may be, may have a perfect response. Blow whatever will. The text affords us this. My friends, we run the race. The trials, the temptations sometimes are so very real. The oppression is so very present. The uncertainties so prevalent. And sometimes we grow weary to some greater or lesser degree. But my friends, can I invite you today to continue to run the race. Yes, we must lay aside the encumbrances. Yes, we must be conscientious about dealing with our sin. But let us look to Jesus. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And let's continue that race in the midst of such a crowd of witnesses. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, it's, it's your word, Lord. that you speak into our hearts that becomes so meaningful to us, Father. It's not the skill or the abilities of any person or people, but it's you, Lord, speaking to you, your children. And I pray that you would envelope your children today in a sense of your presence. And those who are yours, Lord, you would embrace them in the comfort of your love and your acceptance in Christ. And Father, elevate their focus. Magnify your glory in Christ. That, oh Lord, they might be strengthened in the race. And then, Father, there are some, perhaps, here today that are so troubled of soul, 
so oppressed and confused of mind. Their consciences cry out continually. They find no peace, no rest, no hope. Lord, as your servant Chad has told us, help them turn to you. Call them to your kingdom, Father. Invite them to join the race. And rejoice with us in it. Thank you now, our Heavenly Father.